Sydney Mountain Bible Church, one of the, the pillars that we stand on, one of the things that we think through often is that we care about worldview. Worldview is the way, it's the lens, it's kind of the, the spectacles by which, through which we look at the world. And we think it's very important that, that we as believers develop a biblical worldview. And so it informs a lot of what we do. It informs the way that we preach. The reason that we go verse by verse through the Bible, book by book, is that we want to set a foundation through the way we preach and we want to model in the way that we should be reading God's Word the reality that God has spoken and He has spoken to us and He has revealed Himself to us through His Word so that as we preach the Word, we're setting a foundation in our hearts and in our lives. There's a temptation to do this another way. The temptation to do this another way would be that our world seems so disordered and so out of control that there's a temptation to, to every week to look at current events that are going on and for me to, or Gary to craft a sermon based upon what's going on in the world and to sit up here and to, to tell you how you should think about that. But I think that's not how God ordained it to be. That God has ordained for the public preaching of His Word to set that foundation. And so for that to be the foundation as we, as we look at these things, as we look at the things going on in our culture... important that you have a foundation. It's important that you know how to think biblically. It's important that we raise our kids in this way. So this sermon this morning is a little bit out of the norm, kind of, because we are going to pause and we're going to talk about sanctity of human life. It's going to be a little more topical than normal. And the reason that I'm doing this is, first of all, is I think, believe, I know that God's Word has something to say about this issue. And it needs to be addressed. Secondly, secondly, I am convinced that James has something to say about this issue. And so, this morning, as, as we are going to meander through some other texts, I do want you to have your Bibles open to the book of James because we're going to revisit some texts, some scriptures, some themes in the book of James that, we have, that we've covered before. And I'm going to ask you something that's going to be probably very difficult this morning. The thing I'm going to ask you this morning is to, to try this morning to push away from politics. I want you to try this morning to kind of push away from political viewpoints or political talking points. I'm convinced more than ever, especially over these past five or six years, you've heard me say this before, but one of the things that's happened in Christian life that I think have become so damaging and destroying is that for many of us in the church, our politics have informed our theology. 
And when that happens, we get very disordered. So what I'm wanting to do this morning is for God's word, for God's truth to inform our worldview, which will then inform the way we view certain political issues. Because this topic this morning, if you leave here and all that you think this morning is this topic of abortion and the sanctity of human life is just a political issue, then we failed. We failed. This is a biblical issue. And so I want to approach it in that way. And the only thing I'm really going to say probably about politics this morning, I'm going to spend just a little bit of time, but I want you to hear me clearly. I think it's a shame that within the Democratic Party, there is no room for a pro-life candidate anymore. No room. And I think it's a shame that the Republican Party has hijacked this issue just to convince us to vote for. Let's be honest. So many people that we have heard of that stand for life in order to get your vote, we learn later. Encourage their mistresses or lovers to get abortions or when it's their daughter. Do the same. It's not who we are. This isn't a political issue. We're not just a political voting block. I do think we should vote. It's not what I'm saying. We should vote. But as one of wise friend, a man that I'm getting to know really well and just, and just love him more and more outside of, he's outside of this church. He was, he's told me this twice, and I think he's right. That when it comes to issues like this, Christians, we're so guilty of this becoming what he called a pinhole issue. And what he means by that is that we are the church. We exist to know and love God and to make him known. That's that's our motto here. That's our slogan. You can say this differently. You know, we could say that that we exist to love God with everything that we are and to love our neighbor. We could also say that we exist we exist as the catechism says that we exist to the chief end of man exists to glorify God. There's one pastor added to that and enjoy him forever. That's who we are. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to be hope in this world. We're called to be city, a city on the hill. We're called to be a people who who bring love and truth into this world. We're called to be a reflection of God and his word and his goodness to this world that so desperately needs it. And we are guilty when it comes to issues like this of having all of that inside of us, almost like a big balloon And we try to let all that out through a tiny pinhole called voting. It doesn't work. Vote. Vote. But let's not be pinhole Christians. Let us be a people that that let all of that out in many different ways. Now. We could start at the beginning. In the book of Genesis, 
we learn this fact that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when God created man, God said, man and woman, he said it was very good. As Nick was praying this morning, you heard in his prayer that as God created human beings, as God created men and women, as God created us, as God created mankind, there was something special. We are image bearers. And as image bearers, God set us apart. The word sanctify means to make holy. That God set us apart from the rest of the creation. And we even see in the book of Genesis that it's when God talks about murder, murder of human beings, taking of a life, there's a swifter and more just punishment because it's, it's, it's messing with something that God created in His image. We are His image bearers. And we could spend all of this morning staying there, but I want to keep going Because the Bible has more to say. Many of you know this verse. I think we are guilty of probably taking it a little bit out of context. But in the book of Jeremiah. As God was calling Jeremiah to be his prophet. And in verse 5 in the first chapter. We know this verse. Before I formed you in the womb. Talking about Jeremiah. He says I knew you. And before you were born. I consecrated you. And have appointed you. Prophet to the nations. That before Jeremiah was even born, God is telling Jeremiah, I knew you. This wasn't happenstance. This wasn't luck. And we also see that God there in talking to his servant Jeremiah, that he also says, I knew you and set you apart for a work. In the verses that Nick read this morning in Psalm 139, You heard it this morning and. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the psalmist is writing and and in verse one, he says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. And then further on in that psalm, we get these verses for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. God, you are the creator. You are the creator, you're the ones who formed me, you're the ones who you're the one who created me. And when we hear these verses, one of the things that should come to our mind, if this is the case, then what right have we? What right have we? To look at God's creation and to take God's creation. Then in verse 14, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Again, you were made by God. This is not just a man and a woman coming together, a sperm and an egg, but there is a creator involved. God is the one who made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. And then hear these words, church. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. More than a group of cells. 
more than two people involved. Imagery, person, mystery, holiness. Creation of life is sacred ground. But there's another way, isn't there? There's another way. There's another logic. There's another thought process. There are other worldviews. And one of the things as believers that we have to know as we're navigating the world is that sin has changed everything. That from the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned, sin separated us from God. Sin separated us from His ways. Sin separated us from His goodness. Sin separated us from the desire to, to follow Him and to submit to Him and to lean into His ways and to see Him as good and His ways as right that leads to flourishing. Proverbs 14 tells us this, there is a way that seems right to man, but the end is his destruction. Over and over in the New Testament, we hear phrases like this. They did not follow God, but their God, their appetite, their direction became their belly. They turned away from God. Away from Him to know how to live. And what happens in that is that we become the center, right? We become the center of our universe. We become the ones that dictate of what's best and what's right. And hasn't this been what James has been arguing this whole time? As we've looked at the book of James, as we've talked about James being a book that, that has this wisdom and that it's wisdom literature in the New Testament, what we've seen in the book of James is constantly James is laying out that there are two paths that you can go. And it culminates, it doesn't culminate, but it's, I think it's the center point of the book as Gary preached a few weeks ago. In chapter 3, verse 15, it's talking about the two ways of wisdom. And we talked about this even some last week. It says this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly. When James says that this other wisdom, the non-God wisdom, comes from below, not from above. When he says it's earthly, he's meaning it's against. It's not looking to God. It's looking somewhere else for wisdom. And the next word here. It's natural. The, e, the ESV in translating this word says unspiritual. It comes across the same way. It's rejecting God. And so we can hear in this. This other wisdom is the rejecting of God's wisdom. It seems right. But I want to argue, you know. It defies logic, doesn't it? And I think we know this. I think we see this in our culture that it defies logic. I mean, just hang with me for one second. Do you know that this morning, if we were out and about and we found a bald eagle's nest that had eggs in it, and we went and we took one of those eggs and we destroyed it, and we got caught, that we would be guilty of a crime in which the penalty is a $100,000 payment 
and up to a year in prison. You see, our world understands that in destroying that egg, it's destroying something that it sees as sacred, as life. I mean, how many of us, when we've gone to the beach and we see the little signs in these protected areas of the turtle nesting areas, and you can't shine your lights on the beach at night because you may disorient the turtles as they're going and laying their eggs, that we care about that. And we're being told we should care about that. And we should steward God's creation. But we know deep down that there's life. And tragically, I think this is changing. But up until very recently, if maybe a drunk driver hits a lady who is pregnant, and it kills both the mother and the child, it was considered a double homicide. Or if some rageful man comes in and and shoots a woman, and she dies, and the baby inside of her dies, it's been considered a double homicide. We know this deep down. I I saw this clip, and I, I, I don't want to give too many details away because I don't want you to find this person on the internet because it's not wholesome. However, he was talking about this issue and it shocked me, the clip I saw, because kind of what he was referencing is that if you got all the ingredients for a cake, you mixed it together and you put it in the oven and then one of your children came along and took that out of the oven after just a minute or two of it being in there and just threw it away or threw it all over the kitchen, what would you say? You ruined what? The potential for a cake? No, you would say, you ruined my cake. It was there. It was in the oven. What are you doing? You ruined the cake. Deep down, we know this. I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago of a, the host is a, um, he's an expert in MI, uh, expert from MIT and he's uh, in uh, artificial intelligence and he interviews all kinds of people and he was interviewing a origin of life scientist and she was highly acclaimed and chemist biologist uh, type person and uh, both of them are atheists both of them are non-christian it was obvious and even as they talked they wanted to make that clear but she was talking about the 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 systems within life that uh, were so awesome and some of the findings they were finding in chemistry and biology and the MIT guy was all geeked out because it was like computer systems I mean it was clear they were talking about design but they wouldn't say that they're talking about how these things have evolved and so the MIT guy again he was all like nerded out on this and he was saying okay okay here's what you got to tell me so how will we know if we were to look or find something on another planet what has to be present within this substance to say that we found life She wouldn't answer the question. And he kept pressing her because he wasn't getting what she was saying. And finally, she had to say to him, I can't answer that question because there are consequences. Politically, for me answering that question. It's common sense. 
And so some of you might be saying, okay, well, Lewis, if it's common sense, I mean, I know that some people are deceived. Does the Bible have anything to say about this? And if you noticed, I left out something in verse 15. The wisdom which comes down from below is earthly, it's natural, and it's demonic. Verse 7 of chapter 4, when trying to help us out as Christians, it says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Brothers and sisters, we have to know, we have to remember that there's a reality that we don't like to talk about very much because we don't, uh, it makes us uncomfortable about what the world may think of us. But our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual powers and principalities. Ephesians 6 tells us that. And the whole Bible talks about these forces, the wisdom of this age, the wisdom of this world. It's not the wisdom that we follow. And I think it's important, young people, you're swimming in a world that's telling you opposite things of what I'm telling you this morning. You need to hear it. You need to hear the truth. You need to hear what God's word says about life and about truth. I mean, consider the mantra of the pro-choice movement. My body. My choice. Have you ever thought about how unbiblical that is? In James chapter one, verse one, think about the, the contradiction here. James, a what? A bondservant. My body, yours, God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God? And that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, what? Glorify God with what? Your body. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We are to love God with our whole being. Our heart, our mind, our soul, our bodies. That as Christians, we know that this is what God has designed for us. In the book of James, over and over and over again, is calling us into submission of His will. Of glorying in His wisdom. It's the point of the chair, right? One of the points of the chair. One of the points of this chair, as I've been using it as an example, as, as we've been reading through the book of James and working through the book of James, is that we sit in this chair with God's word over us, communicating to us the path of wisdom, the path of life. That we let this word be our counselor and we submit ourselves to it.
So what do we do? It's more than just how to think. It's more than just having the truth. It's more than just having a biblical worldview. James tells us, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So it's one thing in our own house, in our own church as Christians to be doers of this word. But how are we to react to a world full of non-Christians, to a world full of folks who have a non-Christian worldview? I mean, think about it. Isn't it the very nature of the world and not being a Christian that we the very nature of that means that we're not submitting to God? It means that we don't think that God's word is truth. It means that we're separated. There's no Holy Spirit. And so the question becomes, so what do we do, church? Do we just kind of huddle up and hope that things change? We're called for more, aren't we? In James 2.8, remember this. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture. And when we talked about this, one of the things that we pointed out is that James is using this language to say the way of the kingdom, the way of God's kingdom, the way of the kingdom of God's people here on earth, that there is a royal law, there is a way of the kingdom. And what is that way? Look again in verse 8. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is very familiar to us. We remember that Jesus is the one who taught us this. When the Pharisees ask him, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus modeled for us how to do that. And so I've got some questions. And one question is this. Is it loving to our unborn neighbor to stay silent? Is it loving to let the lie go forward that abortion has no consequences for the mother aborting that child? The real question for us should be, how do we become doers of the word? How should we love our neighbor? And as we begin to, to start to think about this, we, we need to know what we're dealing with. 97% of women who choose to have abortions are doing so from a non medical emergency, meaning estimates say that only about 3% of women who choose to have abortion are doing so because their life or the baby's life is at risk. So the overwhelming majority of abortions that take place are taking place for other reasons. There are a lot of things that influence this decision, whether it's income, marital status, the situation in which the baby was conceived. And one of the things I want to say to us is that we will never be doers of the word unless we're willing to go and get involved in some of these situations 
and to be salt and light and to bring hope. Love. My daughter was born into a horrible situation. And I thank the Lord there's a lady in Athens, Tennessee. That the lady who gave birth to my daughter had two other children. And there's a lady in Athens, Tennessee who had taken those two children in years before. And had raised them. And I really think God used that in this woman's life. To give her the courage to choose life even though she wasn't able to care for the baby. You all have done some amazing things in this work. It is amazing to see how Single Mountain Bible Church has raised up and have fostered children, have adopted children, and how those of you who, who, who haven't physically brought these children into your home have supported those who have. And this is a wonderful and a mighty thing. And I want to encourage us to keep going. And... I want us to also think about the mothers. I love choices. Choices is really trying to get to the root of some of these problems. Choices is really trying to look and to say, how can we have influence? How can we change minds? How can we love women and men well? Who are in the midst of these situations? How can we help overcome poverty? How can we help support? How can we help with the relational needs? And, and most importantly, how can we help with the spiritual needs? I mean, think about it. We stand on a gospel that brings hope to a dying world. We have this gospel that changes lives. It brings hope to rough situations. There are stories here that someday I hope that you will hear. There are stories here of, of, of women who have chosen abortions and found forgiveness and are living their lives in different ways. There are stories here who are, of, of women who the world would have encouraged and thought that they would have abortions themselves and they have chosen another way. And I hope you get to hear those someday. But I also hope that we become a church who can communicate the gospel message to tough situations. That there's hope. What do we communicate as a church when we gather outside of places and throw fake blood and things on other people? Or yell insults and scream. It's not who we are. And I want to tell you right now that standing up and doing what is right will have consequences. You will be misunderstood. You will be characterized a certain way. And you might even be canceled. And God's word tells us don't tire from doing good. In due time, God will bring the harvest. Don't give up. 
many of these women. Some of these women are in just horrific situations of chaos and fear. And everything inside of them, everything in their whole being says, this is not my plan. I mean, some of them have been through some horrific situations like rape and incest. The gospel speaks to this. The gospel speaks to this because the gospel tells us that God can take broken things and make beautiful things out of it. The Apostle Paul was a murderer. And God opened his eyes to the gospel. James, think about this, James. At one point in Jesus' life, James was going to his brother Jesus and was saying, oh, something's wrong with you. What's wrong? Come on. You're not the Christ. In our own lives, right? We have no clue what God can do with His mercy and grace and love in a broken woman's life who submitted to the Lord. We have no clue what God can do. But it thrills my heart just to think about it. We have no clue how God can use a young man or young woman that was born in a horrific situation to glorify Himself in this world. We have no clue. Worldly wisdom tells us there's a pattern you can follow, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that God knows your days. God knows the plans that He has for you. And so church, church, will you sit in the chair this morning? Will you be dissatisfied with what's going on in our culture? Will you be dissatisfied with, with the way that people are following the wisdom of this world? Will you be dissatisfied and will you become more than a pinhole Christian? Will we be a people of God who bring His love and His truth and His hope to the world? Will we be a people who love our neighbor like Jesus loved his neighbor? Ate with them. Drank with them. Was truthful with them. Loved them dearly. Will we be a people who take the lead of our Savior and will we go? Maybe you volunteer at a woman's shelter. Maybe you get involved in the foster system. Let me tell you, let me tell you, an area of great need is fostering teenage girls. How hopeless does that have to feel? Will you be a person who goes and volunteers at choice as many of you do? We have a great relationship with them. Will you get involved in your own neighborhood? Men, will you get engaged and, and, and lift up young men who are not living according to God's plan and are out sleeping with, with young women and who are reckless? Will you bring the gospel truth to them? Women, will you mentor other women and help them? This can even happen in terms of doing things like 
volunteering and working at Signal Mountain Social Services or in our schools, you know, or, or wherever, where you're around young people who may be influenced by the world, that God just might use you to bring the gospel, the hope, to a young man or young woman who would either encourage or be tempted to have an abortion themselves or maybe who have had one and need to know the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and that they can be whole again. Will we open our homes? Will we use our resources? Are there ways that we can use this church? This acreage in the back. Is there something more that we can be doing? Will you... Pray, will you stand? Will you believe? Church, it's easier to be angry than it is to mourn and weep and to go and to do. It's easier to vote than to be the hands, the feet, and to give. Let's be a place, a people, who displays God's love in big ways because we love. Why? Because He first loved us. May the world see us as a people who are weird and strange, who say they have the truth and they stand on that truth uncompromised, but they live in such a way that there's no doubt that we don't love those to whom we might disagree. Let's be a place of life and redemption. And let's do hard things. It's what God's called us to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Your word is truth. God, help us to submit to this truth. Help us to glory in this truth. God, give us boldness to take your love into difficult places and to stand firm in love and charity. Help us not to be pinhole Christians, but help us to be people to whom your love is just oozing out of us to the culture that is dying around us. You have given the power in your spirit and in your word to not only hold back those forces, but to defeat them. Help us to be the people of your kingdom, the people that you've called for this generation. In boldness, let us go. In your name, the only name, Jesus, in which we stand. Amen.